Hello, welcome to We're Only Human. I'm Tim John. If you hit play on your phone and we're expecting a different voice, uh, I'm sorry or hello. Depends on whether or not you're excited to hear my voice. But this is We're Only Human. This is season two. This season is all about exploring who we are. Every week, I'm having a different conversation with an extraordinary person that just has a rich, deep story that they've agreed to be vulnerable about. Vulnerable about. Try saying that 10 times fast. Vulnerable about. Wow. Anyway, today's guest is someone... Oh, she creates these playlists. Uh, she's been curating playlists. And somehow, a couple years ago, I got on her list and she creates these Spotify playlists completely curated, so much thought put into it. She has a, a newsletter where she shares all this information and, and inspiration for the playlists. And one of those playlists, one of those emails she sent, I got to read to you what, what she wrote in here. She wrote, there is something kismet in going somewhere you never expected to be. I anxiously await those moments in the future. It's beautiful to know that there are places, people, and experiences we don't even know we will love yet. Oh, are you smiling as much as I am right now? When I got that email from Sarah uh, accompanying that playlist and read that, that passage, I just connected with that so much. I love that too. I am such a spontaneous person. I love the unknown. I love not having a huge plan ahead of me. I knew right then and there when I started to think about season two of this podcast, I needed to get Sarah on. So we got Sarah on. First, we need to make sure that everything sounds good with a good old-fashioned sound check. What did you have for breakfast this morning? What did I have? I had an English muffin with butter. Very, very plain. You know, I think the English muffin is underrated. Like I always see it on the counter at my parents' house and I think... I could be doing so much with that, but I never yes. have it. <laughs> it just, you know, takes me back to a simpler pre-pandemic time. So just felt like the right choice today. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Brooks. She's a daughter, a sister, freelance content writer for various brands, a music journalist, and curator of a weekly email newsletter called The Sounds She Collected, where she shares songs and perspectives and emotions she feels about those songs. And so I was thinking, Sarah, I was like, okay, if I had described Sarah Brooks, like in my own words, what would I say? And here's what I came up with. Um, you strike me as someone who's, uh, I, honestly, I wrote down the word obsessed with, but I, I feel like obsessed has a negative connotation, but driven by and obsessed with music, like in a good way, I'm the same way. So yes. just music person. Um, you strike me as someone who's uh, also, I feel like, shares with me a self-aware and sort of on an ongoing personal growth journey, like constantly reevaluating, which I think is important. You also strike me as someone who wants to make an impact and in, in change in the world. And I saw you posted a while back, um, not that long ago, actually, but a email out of office autoresponder for when you were taking your sabbatical recently, which we'll talk about. But you had this line in here, and I feel like this line is what you're here to remind us of. It was, show yourself grace and remember above all that you're a human being, not a human doing. <laughs> I just love that. So that's what I would say. But if someone asked you, who are you, what would you say? Um, first of all, thank you. That was very kind. And I also feel like you nailed it. Like That's how I feel like I am, or I would at least like to um, be to the world around me. Um, yes, I am definitely obsessed with music and I feel like, um, music is kind of in my DNA. Like my, uh, grandmother, she was in like a big band, um, group with my grandfather and at one point like played with Nat King Cole. So there's this music lineage that just kind of seeps through my family and into my DNA. So I feel like I really connect with music and use music to, kind of process life experiences or just things that are happening um, in my own life or in the world. So definitely accurate there. Um, yes, I I would also say I am an old soul. Um, I feel like I've always been that way. Like I, um, yeah, I just feel like some of the things I do and like my hobbies and just all these things are just coming from this like 
kindred old soul type place. Um, and with that, I am always on a journey. Um, I like to think of myself as self-aware and yeah, I'm always trying to become a better human being, become a better friend, um, and just become my authentic self. I think that is the most important quest that I will be on in this life, I think. Um, and then how else would I describe myself? Um, I think I'm a pretty bold person. Um, I feel like I do things like in my life or like take paths that maybe other people would not take or um, for any reason. And I would also describe myself as resilient. I feel like I've uh, been through a lot of different, you know, challenges and tend to um, find the positive in them and create something better for myself from them. So that's how I would describe myself. Would you consider yourself like an optimist then from, from what you just said at the end there? I I think I trend toward optimism. Um, I feel like in in day-to-day things, I describe myself as more of a realist. I don't think I'm very negative, but yeah, I think I can definitely like find the positive in situations that are not so great. You mentioned that your grandparents were big in the the big band, like the yeah. old school big band. That's I've so were they like did you see them perform in that setting or was it more hearing the stories of their past days in that setting? Yeah, it was more hearing the stories. So I wasn't even on this earth yet. Like my mom wasn't even on this earth yet. So it was um, you know, kind of this I think like a 10 year span of time, maybe that they were like doing like local shows. And then, um, my papu actually was like an alternate drummer too, for Frank Sinatra at one point when he was on his like Vegas run. I don't know what decade this was in, but that is pretty cool. And so they, you know, they kept going and then my papu actually got drafted to war. So they kind of stopped. And then that's when, you know, um, he came back, they started a family and then they've always, you know, loved music. So after that, it became more like music appreciation for them. But um, they made a lot of good friends in the industry, including like my, um, a really good family friends, their, their dad was uh, also a big band singer. So sometimes we'll like listen to their records together. And um, we have that, which is very cool. That's just um, so much fun to have that in the family lineage To Yeah. Was that so for me, music is, it's, I always like to say like music is the one universal language because like regardless of words, the emotions and the feelings and the chills on your back, like that can spread amongst any human being after they hear, you know, a song. And so for me, it's like music does that. Like it moves me. Like I can even intentionally put on certain music that I know will make me feel a certain way if I'm seeking that emotion. Um, totally that's music for me. What what is music like? What role does music play in your life or at least in terms of like who you are? Yeah, that is a great question. So I was actually writing an issue of my newsletter today and I was writing about how I can connect certain songs to place. So like um, a time and place, like maybe I was like on vacation or on a road trip and I was passing through this like small town and I hear this song and I can instantly like be in the scene. So I feel like for me, music lends itself this like sense memory for me almost. Um, And also I feel like, I don't know if this is because I actually played violin starting when I was age nine. Um, So I feel like immediately, like I, I got really, um, I felt really moved by classical music and I started getting into music that, you know, didn't have words, as you mentioned, and kind of understanding, um, you know, major and minor keys and how they elicit different emotional responses and different moods and settings. And now I feel like I do have probably a playlist, whether I made it or I found it from someone else, like a playlist for most moods. So if I'm like, like you mentioned, if I'm like feeling really angsty or something, I can go listen to like punk rock. Or if I'm feeling very sad, I can like put on Sufjan Stevens or something. Like there's a range of things. Like I know, I feel like now I've linked in my brain, like music to moods and different like, sub moods if you will i totally relate to that i remember for me it was i'm not a very religious person these days but growing up i went to catholic school my mom had us going to church every sunday in addition to the fridays at catholic school and i remember the the one thing that always stuck with me from church was the music 
Like it was the part that I connected with that I noticed that I looked forward to. Um, and so I, I kind of credit that with like beginning my love for music. Um, where, where did that come from for you? Was that from the big band and the, the grandparents or was it from mom and dad or someone else or something altogether? Yeah, a great question. I feel like it started with like my parents' record collection. Like they have hundreds of records and oh, nice. I remember that we would just, you know, I think my first concert actually was like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And I was like two, so I don't <laughs> remember that, but I feel like they did, <clears throat> sorry, start me kind of young on, uh, more music now that is like more vintage. Um, and I think that's why I have an appreciation for like seventies rock, especially. Um, and then I'm trying to think of what else really just, yeah, being around other people who loved music, like my Nana who would, you know, play records and then my parents who would play records. So there were always just like records around the house being played. Like, did you grow up in, um, I think about this cause I'm this way now with, with my kids. Like I just, I love music. So I, we always have music on whether it's in the car or in the house and like growing up, that was the kind of the opposite. Like my parents never really ever had music on. Were you in, were you growing up in a household where there was just always music in the background? Yeah, I feel like there was always music. And then I started taking that like into my own like life as I grew up, I feel like, I don't know, I think this resonated more too, because I'm in that kind of like generation where I didn't have, you know, a cell phone until I was like 14, because that's when they started really kind of becoming predominant. So I spent like the first, you know, portion of my life pretty um, non-digital and it was awesome. Um, but I remember I started like making uh, mix CDs for like my friends when I was like 11 or myself. And then like, putting it in this like Walkman that I actually still have. And then just like walking around the suburb, like listening to all of this music. So I think I like started, you know, getting that music collector feel from my parents and then started doing it for myself. And I know you, I mentioned you have this email newsletter, which I'm subscribed to. Um, it's always so beautifully written, but it, it kind of centers around these playlists that you make that are, you know, to be honest, I've never thought of playlists in the way that you presented them in this newsletter and I kind of learned from you, but I mean, you're sort of like, it's a soundtrack of sorts. Um, like you've carefully, meticulously planned out the order of the songs and the, um, the sort of the theme behind the songs. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that's like a pretty involved process, but I'm more curious, like what motivates you to sort of approach it that way like why create a playlist you know in sort of like intended order um for your for your audience like is there some significance behind that medium for you yeah i think over time so i've always kind of been known as like that friend who can make a playlist like for anything and it ranges from like birthday parties to at one of my jobs, we had like a Bluetooth speaker in our section and I would play music every single day for like, <laughs> I think like the two years I was there, honestly. And it was really fun. Um, you know, I've made playlists for like different trips, um, different events, like kind of ranging the gamut or running the gamut of like human emotion. Um, so I really love that. And I think the main thing that I love to get out of it is seeing other people connect with it. Um, so maybe introducing someone to a song like they didn't know before, but now they're like really connected to or um, like pretty much every week I send out the newsletter. I would say really every week someone responds and says like, wow, I needed this or like really love the theme this week or, you know, really connecting with this this week. And that um, that means the most to me. Like, I don't care if, you know, the newsletter has thousands of subscribers i just care that i get those emails because it makes me feel like um like that i'm curating this story that is resonating with somebody else that's amazing i'm a huge fan Thank of you. it's the same thing with like this podcast i just love knowing and hoping that i could impact at least somebody you know in a positive way so that's fantastic totally and thank you for subscribing it's awesome <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned that uh, at a job you had, you were the person with the Bluetooth speaker, which is great. There's always that person. And you would hope yeah. it's someone like you who can like put on the right jams, you know, for the right mood. 
nowadays you work for yourself. I mean, you have your own business. And I know at the end of 2021, you took a four-week sabbatical and um, away from work to, to sort of reset, recharge. I'm curious, what did you learn about yourself during that time? Yeah, it was an amazing experience and honestly something that I'm going to try to do um, every year. And I might even try to like take a mini sabbatical like halfway through the year. Um, it really, first off, reframed how I viewed um, how America works and capitalism and all that and just how it is really uncommon for people to take breaks like that. Um, I got a lot of feedback that was like, I, that is so amazing. Like, I wish I could do that. Like almost like it's just kind of, it's really unheard of and it's like hard for folks to do. So I feel really privileged. I was able to do that. I of course did have to work like double time for part of December and part of January. But, um, during the actual break, I, I feel like I truly untangled myself from, uh, professional identity in those weeks. And I was really able to like, I don't know, friends would ask me what I was going to do. They were like, oh, are you traveling? Are you are you doing anything like really awesome? And I was like, not really. Like, I just want to read and just listen to music and go for walks and just reset. And so I did a lot of things that were very like sensory, like cooking or listening to music, being outside. Um, and it just really made me remember. And like, I know this is going to sound cheesy, but we really are all worthy of um, great things just because we are existing on this earth. Like we yeah, don't need to yeah. do anything. We don't need to have, you know, this fancy job title or do anything to be worthy of that. So it was just nice to remind myself, like I can, you know, um, I should celebrate myself just because I exist and I'm making it through this pandemic and doing all these things. And, um, I just took the time to like, form this more um, positive observational relationship with myself during those weeks. I do feel like we are so caught up. I mean, especially in America with our identities being directly tied to our profession or our daily job or, you know, what we've become known for in terms of professional work. And it's, it's something I just, I can't stand it to be honest. Like it's not, that question, what do you do? You know, you go to a networking event, not even a networking event. You go to any event where you're with other humans, family, friends, random strangers. Like, that's the first question. What do you do? You watch, I'm not going to go into too much of a rant here, but you watch television shows like Ellen, uh, The Bachelor, whatever. And like, they've in the lower third graphic on the television, they put the name, the age, and their profession. Like, that's all that defines us. Yes. What's your name? How old? How long have you been on earth? And what have you been doing all this time? <laughs> So I love that you've you kind of share that like let's see if we can break away from that. Do you, did you feel not even like prior to your sabbatical, but just at any point, or do you feel now even like that you do feel tied to that professional identity? Like I am Sarah Brooks. I'm a writer. I'm a journalist. So that's what everyone knows me as. Great question. I don't anymore, but only because I feel like I've had to do so much unlearning around it. Um, I feel like in my early, like part of my career, um, I really felt like I, I did like that was my whole identity. And I was really focused on getting to a certain, you know, level in content marketing and like having a certain title. Um, so I feel like I was constantly focused on that. But to your point, like the world um, tells us that we should be focused on that. So it was yeah. kind of like kind of ingrained in me that society wanted that from me. Um, but now I try to, and, you know, thanks to therapy and a lot of other things that I've done, I try to think of qualities that I have instead of things that I actually do. So like how I support people in my life, um, how I, you know, make an impact, how, um, you know, how I use my gifts in the world versus thinking of like, um, what I do. And I think another, I'm just going to shout out, I did a career coach program last year. Her name's Emily Eliza Moyer. She's focused on purpose. So I did this program last year. And that also, that was like the final thing where I was like, okay, I'm finally understanding that I don't want my identity to be tied to a job. I want it to be tied to my purpose. So now I look at things um, 
Like I even have like a purpose statement that I've made. And I think of what I do as tied to that purpose versus tied to a job title or some sort of level that I have to get to um, in my life. What is that purpose statement? Yeah. So the purpose statement is I move others and shape, you know, um, groups and communities through words, music, and art. So everything I do ladders back up to that, whether, or I hope it does or will, it's sort of also aspirational, but um, my newsletter ties to that, my work ties to that, um, and kind of what I'm hoping to do in my life will tie back to that, um, I think for now. So, yeah. That's that's a powerful that's a powerful mission. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's definitely like I yeah, I don't think everything I ever do ties back to that purpose, but the the things in my work and what I hope to do with my life do. I love that. You got me thinking now. I'm like if someone asked me that question, I couldn't say it as concisely as you did. It's food for thought for myself. <laughs> you know, it took a very long time um to make the statement. So it will not happen overnight. <laughs> That's fair. Maybe it will, but yeah, it took a while. I did not just come up with it on the fly. I I love that. Um, that line you had in the, your out of, out of office responder while you're on sabbatical that remember above all that you're a human being, not a human doing. That's such a beautiful, and now hearing your purpose, like uh, I feel like that really ties in very well with that. Like you really represent that. But thank you. Yeah, thank you for writing that. Like when I when I saw that, um, I think that just speak. I mean, I could feel it speaking to me. Like show show yourself grace. First of all, you started the statement with that, and I think that's something I've learned through therapy over the more recent years. Is that like there are these moments. There's so many of these moments where we have to just not forgive ourselves, but like remember that we're only human. <laughs> Yes. To, to plug the name of the podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, I'm, I'm kind of just really kind of focused on that line for a moment. Like, where did you come up? Like, were you, this kind of actually goes into like your writing process, but like that line, show yourself grace and remember above all that you're a human being, not a human doing. Not a very long sentence, not a lot of complicated, fancy words, but the most powerful sentence I've heard recently what does it take for you to like create that? Is that something that just comes out or is that like meticulous revisions? So first of all, thank you so much. That's very kind. I will say the human being, not human doing part did come from my therapist. My therapist told me that about, you know, two years ago and I thought it was the best, like just, you know, she said, you know, there's a reason we're called human beings, not human doings. And I was like, my mind is blown. Like I never (laughs) thought of it that way. You're so right. Like, um, and I just, yeah, I thought more and more about it and the relationship between, um, like kind of individualistic cultures like the U S where, um, everything is more tied to the individual versus more collectivist cultures that do embody that we are human beings mentality and how different it is. Um, but when I wrote that out of office, I wrote it, earlier in the week before I, you know, took off. Um, And honestly, for me, writing happens best when I'm in a certain like mindset, like I can't really force it. Um, But when I am in the zone, it just happens. Like today, I wrote my newsletter in probably like 30 minutes, just because I was like, really, like I had marinated on the idea already. So I kind of already had the bones. And then I just sat down and it just kind of flows. Um, And I think it was the same with that email. I also find that I can string language together like that when I'm not in my own head. And I feel like over the years, I've built up kind of a grace for myself in writing too and thinking like, I want to have my own style. I don't need to like sound like all these people maybe. I just want to sound like myself um, and really have it be like from my own heart space versus someone else's. I love that. I feel like, um, yeah, I, you know what? I was just thinking you also, not to review all the writing you've done over the years, but I remember this caught my eye a while back. I don't remember when, cause I didn't note the date, but there was this LinkedIn post. I was scrolling the feed on LinkedIn and there was this post and I don't remember who it was from, but it said, you find yourself back in 2015 
you are able to write a note to future self. What does it say? And it must have appeared in my feed because you made a comment on that post. And that's what caught my eye. Yeah. Your comments. I remember that. Do you? Your comment said, for anyone who hasn't seen it, your comment said, you will find yourself to be stronger than you have ever known. And the question I have for you now is the question I had then, what were you referring to? I mean, and I don't mean that in a dramatic way, but like, it felt like you just really connected with the post that whoever that was made. Yeah, that I felt like I like really felt like called to comment on that post. Um, for me, 2015 was like, I, I just thought it was interesting. The person chose 2015. Um, when I saw it, I had a really challenging 2015. I went through some like health challenges and things that just really kind of affected, you know, my mental health. And it was just a really tough year. Um, and I really, I think that is the year that I did a lot of soul searching and a lot of this existential work around, you know, why am I here? What is my larger purpose? What do I really want to do with my life? And it kind of changed everything for me. Um, and it was, you know, one of the darkest times, but ended up turning into, um, like looking back now, I'm like, I'm actually grateful I had, you know, I weathered those tough times because now I am much more resilient and I have all of these learnings from that time that I am using as I walk my path now. Um, so I really, I saw it and I was like, I feel like this was directed at me somehow through this algorithm and I must comment on this. Um, <laughs> and I did. <laughs> so here we are. Do you feel stronger than you have ever known? That's what you said in that statement. Do you feel like you're at your strongest? Ironically, I do, which I know we're in the midst of probably like maybe the toughest collective time that we will ever, you know, experience in our lives. So um, I know, you know, the weight of what I'm saying with that in mind, I do feel stronger than I ever have before. I feel like, you know, I really, I really know myself. I know what's important to me, what's not important to me. Um, I feel like I'm able, you know, to communicate. Uh, my wants and needs and just stand up for myself. But I also like know my own integrity at the same time. So it, I think it just comes from like feeling strong comes from knowing yourself really well and getting to that core of like, who actually am I? Like to your point earlier, when we take out that job title or anything else related to, you know, what skills we possess that we, we use. Yeah, it's really hard if someone's like, hey, tell me who you are without the job title. Like, I don't know. That's kind of what sparked me, you know, thinking about that for the season where all human is like, what would I say to that? Like, I mean, I have ideas of who I am and the roles I play in life. And but like it was, yeah, it's it's something to think about. Like, we're so tied to that professional identity. How do we get away from that? Is it through what you described of sort of the the coach you went you you work with and sort of that process of like thinking about your skills and um what was it not your skills your my purpose your purpose but that, wasn't there another part of it the like what you have to offer others type thing yes well what what word did i use for that i don't remember either not we'll remember. have to go back <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> but i love that way of thinking about it where it's more like we are all on this planet together you know, what do I contribute to the overall collective rather than like, what's the job I'm doing for, you know, this company's revenue? Yeah, I think the word I used was qualities, maybe. I think yes, I qualities. Said. That yes. was it. Okay, we're back. We're good. Yes. I was like, what word did I use? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think I did. I honestly did an exercise and I don't know what it was for or through, but I did this exercise where I had to describe myself, but I couldn't use like any of my skills that I monetize or my job. Like I couldn't oh, use cool. any of that. Um, and it was actually really cool. It's first of all, like for me, it was kind of hard at the time I did it. I don't know. I just felt like writing down like words about myself felt kind of like I was bragging or something. Like it just felt like made me uneasy. Like at the time I've progressed in that journey now, but at the time it was really hard. And I remember just staring at that blank piece of paper and being like, um, I'm a writer, but I can't write that. And I ended up with, you know, these adjectives and qualities where I was like, oh, you know, my worth is not tied to those things. It's because of these things. Um, but it took a while to get to that point. 
I think that approach is fantastic. That's such a, I, I never thought about that way. I like the qualities. I like that. I think maybe, yeah, maybe that's something we all need to do is take this exercise. <laughs> it is very, uh, it's very illuminating, especially like, kind of like I said, at the time, it, it took a while to get the list going. And that said a lot too, where it was like, we're just so used to that, um, to not describing ourselves in that way, I guess. Yes, absolutely. That's part, probably part of the, yeah, I think about this because like, I see it in my kids too. And my, my family, you know, like my dad's very um, old school. I mean, you know, different generation, but like, I mean, even growing up, it was all about, you know, like what college are you going to, what job do you want to get? Like, it's all about that. But then I see with my kids, like people ask them, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Which actually the, that question itself isn't terrible. I guess it's, we all teach the kids to answer it with what's the profession you want to go in? What money are you going to earn? You know, or what, even what aspirational job do you want? But it's got to be a job. And if it's too aspirational, we might bring you back down to earth because you won't make that kind of money and blah, blah, blah. And so like, I see that all the time. And I think we're, we're doing this to ourselves from, from the beginning, from when we were children, you know, did you, did you experience that too? Like parents saying, Hey, where are you going to go to college? What job are you going to get? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, luckily I feel like my parents were really cool about like, you know, do whatever you want, like whatever you're called to, like, that's great. Um, but I did just feel that pressure, like societally, like I definitely chose a major that was like, I ended up, you know, I loved where I went to school and I loved the classes I took, but I chose this like communications major that was like a catch-all for the field because I was like I don't know like what job I'm going to get so I need to make sure I can do all of the things so I feel like society made me feel that way and then I kind of when you were talking I was thinking back to when I was a kid and I kind of laugh sometimes at the things I wanted to be as a kid because they're so random like for oh, yeah. a couple of years I was obsessed with the ocean like I watched all of these shows and like documentaries about the ocean and like read all these books and was like, I'm going to be an oceanographer. Um, cut to today. I'm, I'm like really terrified of deep water. So that oh, was no. not going to happen for me, <laughs> unfortunately. But I just think the ocean is like this mystical, um, wonderful place that we need to do better at protecting. Um, but yeah, I wanted to be an oceanographer and then I wanted to be an animator. I wanted to be an interior designer. And then as I got older, I feel like I watched it get like more practical and practical and practical. Like when I was graduating, I was like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I really fully want to do at this time, but I know that my degree can hold a lot of jobs. So I definitely think societally, I listened to influences there. Do you remember what along the way changed with the ocean and the water? Like, was there some specific incident or moment in your life where you're like, not into the water anymore? Um, yeah, I definitely went, how old was I? I was probably like 15, went to Mexico on a family trip and we went snorkeling and we like, at first we went in, you know, shallow water. And it was very, very cool. Yeah. They then, then moved us to deeper water. And I remember I got in, I looked down and I was just like, I can't, I can't be in here every day for my job. This is terrifying. And I mean, obviously, or not obviously, I feel like my fear of the ocean is kind of like a metaphor for like, you know, deep water, like you can't really see through it. You don't really know what's there. You don't really have control, right? So it's more about like, like I need to just like surrender to the environment. Um, so I think that's why it is scary. But in the same trip, there were um, like the instructor was like throwing like fish like away from our boat. And this other <laughs> like this really experienced like diver was like going back to the boat. And he was like, there's barracuda. Like you're going to want to get back on the boat. And I was like, this is oh. this is not what I signed up for today. So <laughs> everyone was fine. They were like kind of far, but that was a traumatic <laughs> ocean experience. I, I could see where that changed things a little bit for you. Yeah. <laughs> It was not the magical ocean landscape that I had seen in my documentary viewings. I, I was going to say you could stick to some National Geographic or Netflix documentaries yes. about the ocean yes. and that's good enough. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. There's that one. Um, what was it called? My teacher, the octopus? It was something. Oh, my octopus teacher. My octopus teacher. Thank you. It's on so Netflix. Good. Yes. Did you like it? 
I only watched I the beginning it. of it. Oh my. Okay. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to give anything away. Do you mind if I talk about it? Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Now I'm really curious okay. what, what kind of spoilers could be in this documentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, they get to this point, like they get to this point where I, I don't even know how to explain it. Like they kind of like humanize the octopus and they basically explain, you know, octopus are really smart. Um, you know, their brain function is similar to like humans in a sense. Like they, once they get to this one part, basically the octopus knows how to play like all octopus know how to play. And he was actually like playing this game with the diver. And it just, I don't know. It just really like made me like connect to the animal and just see it in this different, like more, um, humanized i guess way than i had seen that animal in the past and it was just like the last 20 minutes um you're gonna need to bust out the kleenex because it's really emotional oh my gosh maybe i need to finish this (laughs) it's really good i know i think was it at the shed aquarium here in chicago they had videos of the octopus or maybe it was a different aquarium and the they had this video years ago of the octopus like they were trying to figure out why like the light went off every night because they had the lights oh. on and I guess it like bothered the octopus and the octopus like got out of the tank and like flipped the light switch every night and like turned it off. Yeah. Oh and I was God. like, <laughs> yeah, to your point, they're like such smart creatures. Yes. Yes. That is, that is wild. I have not seen that, but I'm going to look it up. Um, yeah. It just really emphasized, I think kind of just like that shared connection, like we are not all that different, um, which you would obviously see an octopus and think we are extremely different, but they actually possess, you know, some of the same basic qualities that humans look for, like connection and play. And when you think of it that way, it's just, it frames them in a different way to yourself. You, you mentioned earlier with the ocean, when you looked down, you were snorkeling at the deep part, like that unknown and how that kind of made you realize (laughs) that that might not be the most comfortable thing. I'm curious, what role does like the unknown and the unexpected play in your life? Yes. Um, So ironically, I'm someone who really loves safety and security, yet I find myself in situations in which I am propelled away from them time and time again. Um, So I feel like that is one of my uh, life's missions is to somehow become comfortable like with the surrender, which is something that I'm really um, trying to do. Um, like yourself, I am I am not religious, but I am very, very spiritual. So I've been kind of trying to nurture that. And I guess technically I am a, a theist, which believes that everyone is praying to the same, same God or same deity. Um, so I kind of take that with me. But uh, yeah, my relationship to the unknown, like for example, Um, in the pandemic, I did lose my job. And then at that point, um, I kind of, I applied for a few other jobs and was like kind of moving forward, but I decided I was like, now I'm going to start my own thing and just like, see how that works for a little while. Um, and just things like that. I feel like I am sort of called to things that challenge me, whether it's, um, you know, I became a radio DJ a couple of years ago or starting my newsletter, not knowing like how that would go. Um, I feel like I'm somehow called to the unknown. So maybe I'm not as afraid of oceans as I thought. (laughs) That's what it comes back to. (laughs) Yes. It's always the ocean. Did you say you became a radio DJ a few years ago? I did. So um, I don't know if you know Chirp Radio. It's like this um, radio, nonprofit radio station in Chicago. Um, Well, you can listen. It's 107.1 FM, chirpradio.org. I'm now using my radio voice. Um, But yeah, I became became a radio DJ like a couple years ago. And I had been listening to the station for a while. um, And I knew that, you know, you could start volunteering there and then you could try out to be a DJ. So I decided to just try it out. um, And I did it. (laughs) And it was very like, I haven't gone in um, during the pandemic, unfortunately, but Um, It was really, really fun. They get listeners from um, all over. So not just in the Chicago area who will like email in and say like, hey, can you play this Rolling Stones song or whatever and just kind of connect with you in that way. So um, it was, it's definitely a challenging skill to learn, um, but very fun when you're doing it. I feel like most DJs 
Um, and actually, admittedly, I'm not someone that listens to radio much these days. I'm always on Spotify. But when I do listen to the radio and when I did in the past, I feel like the reason we often connect with the radio is those DJs or those morning hosts, they have the personalities, unique personalities. Like we connect with those people. Did you, what do you, th- what was your, when you're a DJ, what is your sort of like connection? Like what are, what do you think people are connecting with when they listen to you or choose to listen to you? That is a great question. Um, I think whenever I DJed, I tried to be really, relatable. So I would really approach like my breaks as like a conversation point. So um, like often I would bring up if I played, you know, a certain band and I saw them like 10 years prior, I would like talk about the show and like share what it meant to me or um, kind of similarly, if a song, you know, tied me to a time and place, I would like share a bit about that as well. So I tried to be really relatable, but also a bit vulnerable as well. And, you know, it's, I don't know, I feel like it's a little bit not easy, but it's easier to do because you can't see who you're talking to, but you know that they're there in this like sweet sort of way. Um, So it could be, you know, five people or it could be like 500 people, but you have no idea. And that makes it kind of exciting. Like who is going to be listening that might need to hear this story or might like fall in love with this band because I'm talking about them. So that's, um, that's always been a very cool thing for me. Like I want to connect with someone, even though I don't know if they're there. Yeah. It's an eerie feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. What is it? I, the, the talking to yourself part, I, I think about doing this podcast and I'm, I'm blessed with always talking to somebody and having a, a two way conversation, but a radio DJ is sort of having a one way conversation in the sense that like they are speaking and hopefully many people are listening um, what is, what does that feel like? Like, do you feel, I imagine, here's what I imagine it would be is that at first it would be kind of weird, but then you would just get used to it and you would just be talking as if you were talking to somebody else. Is that the case? Or is it a totally like different feeling altogether? So in the beginning, it definitely felt very weird. Um, like it felt like, I don't know, it felt like in, you know, in a conversation, it's really an equal exchange, or at least I like mine to be where it's give and take and you're really listening and offering and then, you know, this give and take. Um, But on radio, obviously, you're just like 100% giving (laughs) and you don't know, like, someone could be like, this person is irritating me or, oh, I really like their story and you just have no idea. So I remember like, the first session I did, um, we actually had to train with someone in my person who trained me is awesome. And he would always tell me, he was like, you're talking too fast. Like when I would do my breaks and I could feel myself doing it because I was like, I just need to get through the story because it's so uncomfortable to talk to yourself almost. And then over time, I just like reminded myself to like, slow it down and like, take more breaks. And then it gradually became more comfortable. And it felt, I don't know, it felt really kind of therapeutic after a while, because then it was like, I'm, I know I'm just here to like connect with someone else. Um, so over time it got better, but definitely weird in the beginning. Yeah, I can imagine. I've never, I've never done like, um, I was trying to think even in college, I remember visiting the college radio station, but it must've been a friend that was DJing or something. I've never, never experienced that. So I was curious how it would feel. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a feeling unlike anything else I could explain. I feel like that I've experienced before. Are you, you mentioned that you haven't gone in since the pandemic. Are you going to pick it back up at some point in the future, you think? Yes, I would love to go back um, when things... I am saying this with a big shrug, so I'm like, I don't know when the pandemic is going to end, but I feel like I've found myself... And this is just uh, kind of who I knew I would be in this scenario, but I am like on the more like cautious end of things, like even now when I know, you know I'm taken precautions and protecting myself and others, I still feel like very responsible with my actions. And that's how I feel just in general in the world, like non in non-pandemic terms too. I just feel like very cognizant of what my actions create, who they're affecting. Um, and I think the pandemic definitely heightens that for people who think that way. Um, yeah. So I think it was easier for me to just say, you know, I'll come back once is more safe to do so. 
I think that's probably part of that safety side you were talking about earlier too, like the mm-hmm. safety driver. Yes, sure is. Sure is. It's always there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there, I'm thinking about your, you said your parents um, were very supportive in terms of like your future, you know, job, uh, go for whatever you're kind of called to and like follow, follow your path. Was there ever like a mantra or a rule that you like learned from your family that you sort of carry with you today in the way that you live your life? Yeah, I feel like my parents are both, you know, great at advice. And I feel like for both myself and for my brother, they never, um, they never ever harped on grades. Like my brother and I always did really well in school, but they never like asked us to do so. So it was kind of cool in that way. And I remember them saying too, like, at one point they were like, we don't care, you know, what career you're in, as long as you're happy. And they always said that, like, if you're doing something that you enjoy, we'll be happy for you. So it was a very, like, you know, putting that approach to life on us as an individual versus like saying, we'll only be proud of you if X or Y, if you, (laughs) you know, go here or do this. And it felt very like giving us a sense of, um, of agency with that. So I feel like I've really been given that room to you know, explore what I like, what I maybe don't like, and then move from there, which has been very nice. I'm so happy to hear that they were so supportive in that. Like, um, I think that's uh, being a parent now myself, like I, you don't, you think about how your parents affected your upbringing and where you are today. And then I think, oh my gosh, like whether I realize it or not, I'm doing that for them. So I hope that, you know, I'm someone like your parents that's being supportive and pushing them forward and that kind of thing. So I'm glad to hear you had that. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely something that I am very grateful for because I know not everyone's um, relationship to their parents is like that. Would you say overall, like family to you, um, in in terms of who you are today, like family was a very positive influence in shaping Sarah today? Yeah, I think so. I think just with, you know, familial traditions too, like I am, um, I'm Greek. And so we have a lot of you know, Greek family gatherings and parties and um, just kind of that sense of family is very strong um, in that regard. And it's just been strong otherwise, just in my own family, we're all very close um, and really just kind of help each other out and feel very connected, even if we're not physically close. Like my brother actually lives in Berlin right now in Germany, Um, but I still feel extremely close to him, even though when I wake up at like you know, seven or eight, it's like 4 p.m. or five there. So um, it's really, for me, family is very reaffirming about like, you don't even have to be physically near to each other for there to be that closeness, which is very important to me. The being being closeness or the family? Um, the closeness of family, but like okay. not measured by physical proximity. Oh, gotcha. Like just being yes. close no matter where we are on the planet. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I've, the pandemic really kind of heightened that, you know, ability, or not even the ability, but it kind of show, shown a, shined a light on, well, what happens if you take away the physical proximity? Like, wh- how strong are those bonds? How strong, you know, are those relationships? And, and how do we continue on for a time period without physical proximity? That. Did you feel that with your family? So I had an interesting pandemic experience where I actually wrote out, um, wrote it out in their house. So I'm in their house now. Oh, that's um, great. So I did return. And that also um, was a main factor for me in, I mean, they're in the suburbs. So it's like 20 minutes outside of Chicago as well, which makes a big difference for me. It wasn't like hours away from like my life and things like that. But yeah. um, it made me more... It provided a space for me to like figure out my next move after I was laid off and all of that and just really kind of uh, get my feet set in whatever I was going to do. Um, so yeah, I was very <laughs> physically close to my family, um, sometimes more than I would say I wanted to be. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I think when, you know, when I'm older looking back, I will be grateful for like this bonus time that I didn't um, like expect to have, or like wouldn't have had otherwise. So, um, yeah, I think that's been wild and I have, you know, 
couple friends who did the same thing and they're thinking similarly to me as well in that regard, which is, I don't know, kind of cool to see in this mess of things that's going on. That's kind of a nice, a nice positive. Yeah, I think so. Like what a, an unexpected, but beautiful gift for both you and your parents to have that time with each other. Yeah. It's been nice to get to know them like as like an adult child, like kind of as more like in a friendship way versus like they need to, you know, watch over me or do this or that for me. Um, it's kind of been interesting to see. So this means that fish in the wall behind you is not your fish. It's probably somebody else's fish. That is not my fish. Uh, my brother <laughs> caught that fish deep sea fishing in like, I don't Florida, like a long time ago. It's a giant fish. Um, I think it might be a Marlin. I, I don't fully know. Um, but it's, it's large. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> So your brother's yeah. a deep sea, is he still do deep sea fishing or is this like a phase or a certain point in his life? So I actually kind of like to make fun of him for this. Not really. I think <laughs> I'll make fun of him for this next time I talk to him, but he ended up, go, he went with my dad and he uh, got seasick. And so he like caught this fish and then immediately was like, you might be mad at me for sharing this on air, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, not whatever. I'm sorry, Matt. Um, but he got seasick. And so the rest of the time he was like, I'm never doing this again. So I don't think he will be back. Um, but he does have this fish and a cool story. I was going to say, so I think he doesn't need to go back. I was going to say anytime anyone sees that fish or you think, I mean, that's a great story for any party or social gathering. Absolutely. Great party story. Yes. Truly a great anecdote. Yeah. Matt, if you're out there, I think your fish is amazing and I love the story. <laughs> oh my gosh. She's either going to be mad or be like, that's awesome that this was shared. Time will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> 50-50 chance either way here. 50-50, <laughs> yes. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me and, and having this conversation. I, I'm i so glad. And thank you for being you. I really think you are really putting a positive impact out there. Like I I really, one of the things that's always in the back of my head is that every single one of us is impacting those around us every day, whether we know it or not, and it's either positive or negative. And so hopefully we're all making a positive impact. And I think you are one of those people that are. So thank you. Thank you for being here today. And thank you for being here every day. Thank you so much. And, you know, I just want to reflect back to you, like your podcast is sharing stories that I think need to be shared. And Um, kind of doing that positive work to get us to think beyond, you know, what we do in the world and more to who we are. So I am honored to be here and I appreciate um, the work you're doing with this. I think it's really, really important and very timely. You can find all episodes of We're Only Human at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.